You're listening to audio from Memphis Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit memphiscc.info. Well, good evening. It's good to have you out here tonight. My name is David. I'm the youth pastor here. And for those of you that are new or for those of you that maybe this is a place that you've been checking out for the last couple weeks, I am really excited to see you here tonight. And I hope, especially if you're a student in middle school or high school, that I'll have an opportunity to meet you after service tonight and get to know your name. Uh, Students, thank you for being inviters, uh, friends to come and to see what God is doing and how he continues to want our hearts to know and to trust him. For those of you that are tuning in online right now, I am thankful um, for this vehicle right here um, and to see the power of what it is to have communication in the way that God has blessed us to be able to have communication. And I know for those of you that are on the road tonight, whether you're making your way for early Thanksgiving or whether you are out doing routes tonight because you work UPS and I don't think they're going to stop for the next three months I am grateful that we can be encouraged together in this way. Turn with me in your Bibles to Joshua chapter 3. I mean, I want to ask you a question as you turn to Joshua chapter 3, and that question is pretty simple, but I think it has a lot of uh, weight to it. And that question is, is why is trust so difficult for us? Why is trusting something or someone so incredibly hard for us to do? Most importantly, why do we have a hard time placing the burden of provision, well-being, guidance, wisdom in the capable hands of a loving and faithful and powerful and wise God? Why ultimately do we trust ourselves more than we trust God? And I think the reason why we struggle with trust is because we have all felt the pain of being let down by someone or something. People constantly disappoint each other, don't they? Perhaps it's a friend that offers to help you move and they never show up. Maybe it's your spouse and they tell you that they're gonna be home at four o'clock to help you get dinner and the kids ready, but they don't get in their car until 4.30. They say, I lost track of time. A coworker lies about a situation for their own personal gain. You give someone a verbal commitment that you're going to do something, but instead of keeping your word, you flake out and give some lame excuse by text message because, well, you're too afraid to make the phone call. Or perhaps, and this happened to me, and in fact, most of these things have happened to me, or I've done most of these things. A person on the street asks you for money to get their car out of the impound lot only to discover that it was a scam, right, Brandon? In fact, I want to tell you this story real quickly before we start. Um, there's, there's three of us here uh, that uh, one time we all spent our time down uh, visiting at the hospital area in downtown Louisville. It was right there by Norton's Children's. And there was a guy with a really convincing story in a cowboy hat down there um, that told us that uh, we uh, needed to help him get his car out of the impound lot. And so both myself and Brandon and another guy that I won't mention his name because he's not on staff, he's a member here and he would be embarrassed if I mentioned his name. We all at different times met this guy down there and gave him money, trusting that his story was legit. And look, Brandon can really call some crap, but he was unable to call this guy's stuff. And sure enough, all of us talked about this moment that we met this guy downtown, helped him to get his car out of the impound lot. It was this crazy story. And then we realized that, well, that guy had been there for like the last three weeks asking different people that very same thing. And so he had made a lot of money and we realized that we had all been, well, bamboozled. Uh, We had all been schemed in that way. 
Which leaves us to this understanding that trust is difficult because we've all been burned by situations. There's plenty of things that we can look back on and see why trust might be difficult for us. And I believe it's these moments of broken trust which results from a broken world that leaves us timid to actually place our full trust into anything. And oftentimes this is that snare that we fall into when looking at our relationship with God and the plans that he has for our life. In fact, the very idea of giving God full disclosure of my life is pretty intimidating. And here's what it requires. It requires that God is actually trustworthy with all the things that he says, all the things that he's promised, and all the things that he can do. And as we're gonna discover through his word, the only way that we get to experience the full reality of trusting him in his love and power is when we truly submit to his ways and that they're better than our own. You see, it's when we trust him that we see things in life begin to move in the way that he desires, not in the way that I force. It's when we trust him that we position ourselves to receive the work of the Holy Spirit not just something manufactured. It's when we trust him that we allow him to work in and through us to see his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And as I've experienced with my family over the last two weeks, it's when we trust him that we no longer fear death, but rather we rejoice knowing that we go to be with him. Psalm chapter nine, verse 10, King David writes, and those who know your name, put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Let's pray together. Father, as we prepare to look into your word tonight, I am grateful for the reminders of why and how I can trust you this week. God, and I pray that that ripple effect would only continue into the lives of all who are in this room today and those that are online right now, that we would be able to see the truth of trusting you is vital for our life. God, as we look into the story of young Joshua, may we be reminded of your power that is made complete in our surrender to you. Lord, it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. So here's what we find in chapter three of the book of Joshua. We find a nation being led by Joshua on the edge of the Jordan River. The mantle has been passed here from Moses and now to Joshua, and it's this river that now separates this nation that had been traveling for over 40 years to enter the promised land. And here's what I want you to recognize is that this nation, that as they've been traveling over these 40 years, have experienced God's great might and his great power. Uh, They've seen God's trustworthiness as he has led them out of Egypt or led the generation before them out of Egypt. They've seen and heard of him as he's split the Red Sea. They've seen water be called from a rock and they've seen the nourishment that God can provide from the sky. And in Joshua chapter three, verse seven, the Lord speaks to Joshua. I want you to follow along. If you don't have a Bible, I want you to grab one now as we go through that. And I want you to be willing to mark things, to circle things, to journal as we go. It says, the Lord said to Joshua, today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all of Israel so that they may know that I am with you as I was with 
Moses. Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant that when you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go and stand in the river. Now then, choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. And as soon as the priests who carry the Ark of the Lord, the Lord of all of the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and will stand in a heap. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage during the harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the Ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. Verse 16, so the people crossed over the opposite side of the Jericho. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan, and they stood on dry ground, not mud, dry ground, while all of Israel passed until the entire nation had completely crossed on dry ground. There's a few things that I want us to note about God's trustworthiness from this passage, and they relate to ways in which we can experience him in our life. The first is this. It's that God invites us to trust him privately so that we can be faithful publicly. Notice that God set the stage for this moment with Joshua and the people of Israel by preparing who? By preparing Joshua. How? Privately, personally, conversationally. You can look back at verse 7. You can see that the Lord said to Joshua. And this is not a new theme when we look at Scripture as a whole, where God makes a personal invitation for people to trust him. Look in the life of Abraham, or Moses, or Daniel, or Mary, or Joseph, or even the disciples. How does God make his plans known? He makes his plans known personally. And the same is true for us today. God has personally formed each and every one of us in his image, given us breath in our lungs today, and has personally invited each of us to know him. I want you to pick up that word. It's about the personal invitation for us to know him. And if we want to discover the trustworthiness of God, then we have to spend personal time with him. It cannot just be public faith, y'all. God wants you personally, deeply. He wants you in his word. And he wants you to pray to him. And he wants you to worship him more than just in the gathering once a week. But he wants your heart when you're driving down the road and life is crazy. He wants it when you sit in chemotherapy. He wants it when life is good and when life is bad. You see, our relationship with God in private is what propels us to be faithful publicly. See, God has and will make his plans known just as he did with Joshua and the nation of Israel. But we need to see from this account the second part of this, and that's that we've gotta be willing to get our feet wet. Notice verse 15. The Jordan is at flood stage during the harvest. Yet as soon as the priests carried the ark, reached the Jordan, and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. 
As we look into the text, we can see that the crossing conditions for going across the Jordan River that day were not good. In fact, it brought me back to remembering when I was a kid, I had this little creek down by my house. And most of the time in the summertime, that creek would pretty well dry up. There were little crawfish in there that I'd go and scoop out, or maybe I'd find those big earthworms and I'd try to fish even though there were no fish in this little creek. And it was like my private place that I could walk to and just sit and enjoy this time down there. It was real peaceful. It's full of snakes, but it was really peaceful. Until the big rains came. And we know those big rains in southern Indiana, right? These downpour torrential rains that cause a little creek that barely flows in the summertime to well up. And I remember going and seeing this creek and it was surging with all of these different swirls in it and debris from upstream. The water was swelling over the banks. It was aggressive. It was scary. It was intimidating. And this is what I imagine the Jordan River looked like that day. Intimidating. But notice what God gave as an instruction for the priest through Joshua. He says, go and step foot in the river. He says, go and stand in it. In the raging river, go stand in it. The plan seemed crazy. The conditions didn't make sense. The task seemed too big. The rushing water too intimidating. But even still, Joshua and the priests were willing to step out into it all. Why? Because they knew that God was trustworthy. They knew that he was faithful and that they could take him at his word. It didn't matter what the circumstances were before them. What they saw was God's faithfulness behind them and with them and before them. That's what mattered, and that's what propelled them forward and made them willing to step out. See, we get stuck so many times in life because we look at all the other things surrounding a situation and we lock up. We say, it's too big, it's too far, it's too much, I don't know, what am I, who am I? And we just stay frozen because we're intimidated by what's in front of us. When all the while, God has prepared it in advance for us to simply trust him and to step out and get our feet wet. You know, I know, that when we get our feet wet in trustworthiness of God's situations, that our faith grows. Our faith does not grow by standing on the sidelines and watching things take place in front of us. It grows when we're willing to step out into it. It's through this moment of full disclosure that God solidified a moment in which Joshua and the nation of Israel and the coming generations would look back and remember God's faithfulness. Join me back in Joshua chapter four, verse one. When the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, choose 12 men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan from right where the priests are standing, and carry them over with you and put them down at the place that you stay tonight. I can imagine Joshua telling the priest, hey, I know we just did this really cool thing where we walked through the Jordan River and the waters are still dammed up and the ground is still dry, but hey, I want you to go back into that space and I want you to go grab 12 stones. Can you imagine just the priests kind of looking at each other like, look man, crossing it once was plenty. 
I don't think I want to go back in there and really put it to the test. But notice what God's doing here. Verse four, Joshua called together the 12 men and he appointed them from Israel, one from each tribe. He says, go before the ark of the Lord to your God in the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone and put it on his shoulder. I love the detail here in this, that these were not pebbles for their pockets, you notice? These are stones for their shoulders. These are big rocks to signify a big moment in which God does something. According to the tribes of Israel, And these are the three things that I believe that God reminds them of with these stones. Number one is in verse six, to serve as a sign among you. So so God's using these stones to have the people that are there currently be reminded of what God did that day as he dried the ground and they passed through it. But then it goes on and it says that in the future when your children ask you what do these stones mean, Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. So not only is it a reminder for the people that were there that day, but it's also going to be a reminder for their children. Parents, do we live lives of trustworthiness that God has called us into that we're able to tell God-sized stories to our children about God's faithfulness in our life that would serve as reminders for them to be faithful to the Lord. Because this is what God's doing here through the nation of Israel, is he's telling them that this moment's not just for you, y'all. This moment's for your children and their children and their children to look back and to remember what God did this day. And then lastly, that these stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever, meaning that these stones are not just for the people that were there that day. It's not just for their children. It's for all of Israel, for all of the world, for all of the nations to remember what it is that God's faithfulness is. Even for us who are thousands of years removed from this situation, can you not feel and see the power of what God did that day, even through his text? Is it not a reminder for you today to be faithful to a trustworthy God? The rock pile was a practical reminder of the fact that God can be trusted, that he is faithful, that God made it clear that this moment was to be shared amongst the people in all the generations to follow. Tell me, what are the moments in your life that serve as a remembrance of God's faithfulness? How have you experienced God being worthy of trust? In other words, how big is your rock pile? I left some space there on your bulletin this weekend for you just to jot down a few moments, a few pieces of your life where you can look back and you can see that God was faithful. For me, when I'm trying to understand why something feels like it's taking too long to happen, I think back to the birth of my son and daughter as living reminders of God's perfect timing even when I wanted to rush his hand. When I struggle to watch students who I know love Jesus being raised in homes that could care less, I think back to the day that I watched my father give his life to Jesus Christ. 
when money is tight. And I don't know how it's all going to shake out. I remember the countless times that the Lord provided in ways that didn't make sense. And I certainly wasn't expecting. A week ago, Friday, was my father-in-law, Paul Hughes' memorial service. And for the hundreds of people that were present that day and into the evening, my family's hope, Pam, his wife's hope, is that you would be reminded of God's faithfulness and in the importance of trusting him. One of the young guys sent me a text later that night, and I want to read it for you. He said, I want you to know that I'm very thankful for Paul's life, even though I didn't know Paul from Jim. (laughs) He said, I have been inspired tonight to live more boldly, and I plan to take that into my shift tonight. Do you see how the moments in our life when we trust God serve as memorials to propel us forward to continue to see him as faithful? Do you see the importance of sharing God's faithfulness with other people? I want us to realize that because God is trustworthy and because we are able to replicate God's character, it's vital for us as believers to not only share what it is about God and his trustworthiness, but it's also vital for us to replicate his character by being people who are indeed trustworthy. In other words, as believers, we are called to be living examples of God's trustworthy character and his unending grace. I love the Apostle Paul's words, the man who penned much of the New Testament through the work of the Holy Spirit. I love to see his passion as he wrote in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. He says, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength, that he has considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. He says, even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, man, some of those words, they resonate with me. Do they do the same for you men? He says, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are where in Christ Jesus. And in verse 15, he says, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst, he says. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Paul is saying, I want to be a living memorial to God's faithfulness that is found in the grace of Jesus Christ, even though I was the worst of sinners, a scoundrel, a violent man. God, who is rich in mercy, made me alive in Christ Jesus, even though I was dead in my transgressions and sins. Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. You see, as believers, we are called to a higher standard than the world when it comes to integrity and to trust. Because God is trustworthy and faithful, he calls the spirit that lives inside of us to lead us in that way. 
This means that we are trustworthy in our commitments. Jesus talked a little bit about this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 34, when he's talking about oaths. And the Pharisees and the teachers of laws, they did a really poor job of displaying what it means to be faithful and trustworthy to the people. And so Jesus comes and he corrects that in verse 34. He says, I tell you, do not swear by an oath at all, either by heaven, because it's God's throne, or by earth, because it's his footstool, or Jerusalem, for it's his great king, cities. Do not swear by your head, for you can't even make the hairs on your head turn white or black. I was getting ready for church tonight, and here's what I noticed, and maybe you're noticing this. We've got really good cameras in here. Do you see how many gray hairs I'm acquiring inside of my head? Maybe not, but I can see them, and I feel them, especially with my youngins. And so those of you that are like bald or like have all gray hair, you're like, Psh, it only gets worse, man, get ready. But it was a reminder to me, even as I looked in the mirror, that I don't even control whether or not my hair is white or brown unless I'm using that old man dye and uh, make sure that it stays nice and pristine. But we know that that's temporary, right? <laughs> he says, you can't even make your hairs turn white or black. And so all you need to say is simply yes or no. And anything beyond that comes from the evil one. You see, the truth is that we only feel the need to swear by something or on something because we're generally just unreliable people. And what Jesus is saying is that we need to live lives in such a way that other people should be able to take our yes as a yes and our no as a no. We shouldn't have to swear by something. We shouldn't have to make a big deal about it. We shouldn't have to take some blood oath with our friend that we're gonna be there. Our yes should be yes and our no should be no. But in our culture today, more than ever, we're riddled with fake presentations of news, photos, leaders, all who are after their own agenda, and a culture that naturally prides itself over the care for one another. It doesn't matter what commitment that I've made or what I said on the stage or what promises I made in my campaign. What serves me best today? What's most appropriate for me? First Peter Chapter 2, verse 11 says, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires, which wage war against your soul. In fact, live such good lives among the pagans, those that don't know God, that they may accuse you of doing wrong, that they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day in which he visits us. In other words, from my commitment to greet on Saturday night, or to grab lunch with a friend, or my commitment to marriage to my wife, the call is the same. We are to be trustworthy, not just in the big things, but in the small things as well. Let us be reminded to do what we say we're gonna do. And now hear me out, plans may change. We all know that saying, right? I'll be there as long as the creek don't rise. I'll be there is really what we're saying as long as something better doesn't come up. I'll be there as long as it fits into my agenda. Plans may change, but they should only change for excellent reasons. Not just because we don't feel like it or because we didn't plan accordingly or because something better came up. 
God's desire is that we would be people marked by peace that comes from continual trust in response to his trustworthiness and that would overflow into our relationships and that our life should be a continual to respond to the love and faithfulness of God rather than to continue to rely on my own strength. You see, that's what gets us in trouble. For really being full disclosure tonight, we get ourselves in trouble when we look at our own strength and our own ability more than we look at the faithful and trustworthiness and power of God. Whether it comes to our schedule or it comes to our emotions or it comes to our mental health, all of those things are wrapped up into this idea that as long as I push hard enough and do the best that I can, that I'm going to be able to make it through. But the truth is that God is the one that calls us to trust in him and he'll make you strong and he'll remind you of faithfulness in your life. You see, oftentimes it takes us being at our wit's end where there is nothing possible left for us to do before we ask God for his help. In reality, we should begin every part of our life with the surrender to the trustworthy lead of God's spirit. And it goes right back to where we started tonight. And that's that this public display of faithful and trustworthiness does not begin publicly. Where does it begin? It begins in private. It begins in the morning when I'm on my knees and I'm saying, God, you have your way with today. Whatever it looks like. Realize today that our trustworthy God delivered an entire nation of Israel through the trust of ordinary, and I also want you to recognize, flawed men. He destroyed the walls of Jericho through the faithful marching of his people. He scattered the Midianites in response to the trust of a young and fearful and timid boy named Gideon. He delivered Paul and Silas from a prison as they worshiped him in trust. The stories, the moments, the rock piles, they go on and on. They get bigger and bigger, but they all have something in common, and that's this. God spoke his desires to his people. His people trusted him at his word, and in response to his character and faithfulness, and then... God did a mighty work. God invited his people to trust him as he speaks to them. They responded to him, and then they had a front row seat to watch God do what only God can do. What a blessing, what an honor, what an experience that God allows for us to have even today. Realize that just as he destroyed the enemies of his people time and time again, he will help you overcome whatever obstacle that is in your way today. And it might not make sense, and it might not look the way that you thought it was going to look, but I can promise you this, as we've talked about in the Bible, as you can attest to for those that have seen God in this way, he is faithful. He's trustworthy. And so my question for you tonight is simply where do you need his help and guidance? Where do you need to trust him? Where do you need to get out of the way and just allow God to be who and says that he is in your life? I know that there are many of you in the room tonight and potentially some that are online right now where you sit on the fence with your faith. 
You have said things along the lines of, I I like the idea of God, but I don't know if I'm ready to trust him with my whole life. I like being in worship and singing songs and reading the Bible and being in a small group. I like serving, but I don't know if I'm ready to give him my life through baptism. I don't know if I can really trust God in that way. I I don't know what my parents are going to say. I don't know what my family is going to say to that. Know that God is trustworthy. And if he's calling you to surrender your life to him, your response doesn't need to be maybe later or when I'm ready. God has and will make you ready, even when you don't feel like it. During these next few songs, I want to encourage us to meditate on the character and the faithfulness of God in the past and the future promises that he's made in our life. For those of you that are Christians, those that have given their life in that way, I just encourage you to think back to those rock pile moments. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's your kids or maybe it was deliverance from a disease or maybe you're just reminded today that you didn't have to work to put breath in your lungs. That that God literally woke you up and put breath in your lungs today. I pray that we'll meditate on that. I came across an old hymn this week that I believe sums up this weekend pretty well. It says, trust him when dark doubts assail thee. Trust him when thy strength is small. Trust him when to simply trust him seems the hardest thing of all. Trust him, he is ever faithful. Trust him for his will is best. Trust him for the heart of Jesus is the only place of rest. Stand together and let's pray. God, I am grateful for the reminder of your faithfulness tonight. For your word, God, that does more than any single man or person can. That it cuts to the heart, that it reminds us and it's a display for us. It's living and active and alive. And tonight for a room of people that are gathered and for those that are online, I pray that the story of Joshua and the testimony of Paul, the declaration of King David, all people who have experienced your faithfulness would propel us forward, God, not just in this public moment, but privately to search your heart, to taste and to see that you are good. God, to be willing to get our feet wet and to trust you, even if what is in front of us seems out of control. up our lives. God, we know what it's like to be let down. We know what it's like to let others down. But God, you, you only know faithfulness. You know trust. You know truth. Father, we 
take your next step, I'll come and meet you right where you are. Trust. Trust. Trust.